This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with author Diane Danvers-Simmons about abandonment, conundrums, love, reframing your experience, forgiveness, and her book, My Mother Next Door. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. With me today, I have Diane Danvers-Simmons. How are you? I am good, Brandon. It's lovely to meet you. Well, it's lovely to meet you, too. And for those that do not know Diane, Diane is an international senior marketing and advertising professional, author, filmmaker, and motivational speaker. She's an advocate and activist of all-female empowerment. She founded and hosts an intergenerational podcast with her daughter, Natalie, called Mothers and Daughters Unfiltered. And this podcast invites women of all walks of life with female leaders, issue experts, and mothers and daughters to explore topics that affect all women navigating the 21st century. They use the own it, feel it, live it framework. The women engage in candid conversations by sharing different perspectives and stories, thus collaborating in building a community of informed and empowered women of all ages. Diane also sits on the leadership council for the Women's Fund and other not-for-profits. And today we will be discussing her book, My Mother Next Door. And everyone... This is a book, let me tell you. Uh, Diane, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you. And I'm excited to talk about the book. <laughs> oh, well, before we get into like the nitty-gritty details of the book, you know, you read a lot of books. I'm not going to say I read a lot of books in my life, but you read enough books. And people have different writing styles. And you come from a, an advertising background. You're obviously a, a, a very good writer of, of some sort before this all happened. You know, it, it was part of your life. And the style in which you used here, uh, the word that comes came to mind when reading it was delightful. And... <laughs> And I say that in the most I say that in the most British way I can. I say it in the most Emma Thompson quirky Emma Thompson way 
I'm she's having tea at the same time I can. Your dialogue was just delightful to read and it bounced and it hopped and it felt like we were chit-chatting over tea if that makes sense. It does and it makes me really happy because my whole intention with the book was that someone felt like they were in a room with me talking about this the way we really do talk to each other over a cup of tea or a glass of wine, whatever it is. But I I wanted people to be part of the story and get engaged, engaged in that way. And your book for people that are, are listening, you know, we deal with uh, toxic families a lot. We deal with toxic relationships a lot. And yours has to do with your mom. And it's, you're, you're dealing with a, a narcissistic mother and you're dealing with her relationship with your dad. And you have siblings that are full siblings, half siblings. And you're the, you're the bottom. You're the observer of, of everything. And, you know, the spoiler alert on this would just be the plot device, which I say plot device. But if this were a movie, one day your mom moves out of your home and into the house next door and has three roommates (laughs) who are young, college, maybe a couple are hunks. But like really, definitely a couple of hugs. Yeah, and now it's just just it's a lot of it's abandonment, but it's a weird type of abandonment. But this is yeah, you know, part of it is as you say at the beginning, this isn't your sister's story, this isn't your brother's story, this isn't your mom's story. This is your story and your experience of it. So, when reading everything, the one thing that I'm just going to say to people in our community is Diane forgave her mom for everything. And we're, I'm just going to put that point this out now for everyone. So I don't get emails forgiving for everyone. Isn't, you know, it's up to you. It's up to you what to do. We're not telling you that this is the right thing to do for you. What, you know, not everyone has to forgive their parent or, or whatever it is. But for, for Diane, this is what worked best for you. And I, I'm going to tell a little bit of a story here. I know I'm kind of taking over the conversation, but <laughs> I, ha- I had this website uh, a, a while before this exists, this podcast grew from a defunct website. There was a blog on there that this grew from, and all of a sudden this happened. But uh, a friend of mine created a blog on that site and a whole thing that she called reframe of reference. Right. And we would have people write into us their story and then we asked them to reframe that story. And then we would post the difference if you were able to reframe those things. And you have this uncanny ability to look at this negative situation. And then you're like, well, the reactions of everything, of the, you know, which could have been negative reactions, you took these positives out of it and you began to spin things in that way of who you became. 
So can you give the audience a little sense of your story and then discuss how you reframed your experience and how you went from a lost teenager to where you are now? A week after my 16th birthday, my 60-year-old Irish Catholic mother um, announced to me on my return from school, you know, I would come home from school, jump on the counter on a Friday, have this discussion over, you know, tea and a chocolate cupcake about what had happened that week. So I'm sitting up there for the normal conversation, you know, go to hug her. She kind of is cold, like a, you know, mummy entombed in ice is the way I describe it. But that's normal mum, this larger-than-life character. She was only four foot 11, but she was this huge character. And I'm sitting there, and she tells me, I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm like, mum, you know, come on, no more threats. You're always threatening to leave every week. You know, I don't want to hear it. But she continues, and she says, no, I'm leaving. And I'm done. I've given you 16 years of my life. I'm done. But I don't take a lot of notice at that point. Next day, go off to my Saturday job, come home from my Saturday job, walk into the house, deathly silence. There's no smells, these wafts, these sounds coming from the kitchen. And I run around the house looking for her. Nothing. There's no note. There's no phone number. Nothing. Just her face creams, her toiletries, and her personal items are gone from her wardrobe. So what do I do? Um, I'm a little shell-shocked, to say the least. But I think it's, you know, one of mum's dramatic moves again. Because I've grown up with this, remember. And I go to the house next door. And I knock on the house, which I knew she'd bought a number of years before. But I'd really never been in there. And she was renting it to some college students who I really hadn't met, but I'd seen in the distance. Walk in, she, well, I knock on the door. She opens the door. And I look at her and go, Mom, what's going on? Have Have you really gone and done it? And she said, come in. Went in went to the front formal living room, which is where all the conversations happened, whether it was in my house, number 47, or her house, number 49. Sit down, and I said, you know, what's going on? She said, I'm done. I'm done. I've given you and your dad 16 years of my life, and you're big and ugly enough to take care of yourself, the dog, and your dad. Now, I'm a princess, basically. The house has been her domain. So... I sit and talk with her and I'm trying to understand this. And it's, and you, you talk about being the observer. That's how I felt. I was like, I was hovering. And even as writing this book, which the one thing I'll say is whether you write a book or just write, it is the most cathartic thing you can ever do in this type of situation. But I'm sitting there with her and I'm hovering and I'm, I'm kind of watching this scene unfold as I'm sitting there calmly drinking tea, eating chocolate digestives, and, and she's telling me she's done. But she turns it into why this makes so much sense. And I'm 16, so I'm 
buying into this and I'm listening and I'm thinking, am I the selfish one for not wanting her to go? Uh, it's, you know, yeah, she's right. Dad doesn't, they, they don't have this love and affectionate relationship. And we get to this end of the conversation. I'm like, well, what, what has dad got to say about this? And she said, nothing. And I said, what do you mean nothing? And she said, I haven't told him. I'm like, mom, you, you know, who's going to tell him? Who's going to? And she goes, you are. So that night, when my dad came home from his business, he had a business, I met him in the hallway, and I had to tell my father that my mother had left us, but we would be okay. So when you're 16, you're at high school, you're already dealing with your own hormonal, you know, situation. I've got these half-brothers and sisters, two sides of the family, mum's kids, dad's daughter. And I, I really had no choice other than to cope, to function. I, and that's, I think, what it comes down to. I had a choice. Do I survive and keep going, or do I let this drown me? And I'd kind of been raised by, you know, war generation parents because my parents were much older. And, you know, I wasn't crying. Was, I couldn't cry in front of my mom. I couldn't show that emotion. She would just sit there and look at me. But she framed it in such a way that it kind of like made sense, even to the point where I'm like, why, why are you leaving me? I haven't done anything. Why aren't you taking me? And she said, because your father would, your father couldn't survive without you. And your father would kill me. And your father would. So she shifted the blame onto my father as to why she couldn't do that. So is this a point in your life where you start thinking how these things are affecting you and things around your future, like I'll never be this way, like how my mom is being? At 16, I vow I would never, ever do that unto my own children. And, you know, as I grew, I didn't even know what the word narcissist was. I didn't even know that word. And so for me, it was... Um, as I grew and I would, and also I was, you know, I was growing up in the seventies and I was growing up in London. We didn't have social media. We didn't talk about it. I mean, even this, this day, people from high school have written to me and go, Diane, I never knew that your mum had left or Diane, I knew your mum lived next door. I thought it was kind of strange, but it was like, oh, well. Let's move on. I mean, it truly is that. Keep on and carry on. But I think the blessing, the saving grace is we didn't have social media to, you know, kind of plaster this all over the place. I didn't have to talk about it. So I, I internalized a lot of it, and I had to kind of constantly hover above it. So how did you reframe these experiences? You know, 
whatever my mother did, what I realized is she, she really toughened me up for the world. I was a big softie, and I look at things as to I had to be born to her to be able to survive the things I have in life and to get through. Doesn't mean it didn't impact me. Doesn't mean it didn't hurt. And I probably had, um, in my 40s, I went back and she did this number on me because I was staying with my sister, her daughter, who she didn't speak to. They had a terrible relationship. Um, So to because she was angry about that and to hurt me, she suggested that my father wasn't my father. And I looked at her and I was like, I I don't know who you're trying to hurt here or what you're trying to do, but you make yourself look bad, not me and not dad, you know, because he was my father and he was the one that was there for me. He was my solid foundation. And I think having that one parent that was incredibly solid foundationally, who, you know, was, would talk calmly about things to me and try and explain family to me and what was important was, and, and knowing that you're that loved by someone, that was the saving grace. You know, that, that really was the saving grace. And, I kind of worked out, and I can't explain this, I worked out at a pretty young age that mom just couldn't help herself. And I I could see, I could see what was going on. But when I had my own children, I decided that I was not going to repeat that pattern. And so I, I mentioned, you know, she did this number on me. I came back to America, and I said to my husband, I, I feel like I am falling apart. It's, it's like, this is the last straw. I've always been strong. I've been the, the glue for the family. I feel like I'm falling apart. And I went to a therapist for the first time in my life. And um, she looked at me and she said, Diane, you don't need to make excuses or cover for your mother anymore. What she did to you at 16 was wrong, the responsibility she put on your shoulders to be the go-between for the whole family was wrong. You were a child, and you don't have to cover for her. And it was those simple words that allowed me to let go of denial, actually, of um, really just accepting everything that she had done in the way she did that. But I also have this philosophy, and this is me personally, that if I didn't, you know, go through this process, and, then, and I went on every, you know, I learned to meditate, I did yoga, I, you know, uh, went on Deepak courses, I went through this whole um reconnection with myself which is when I got very involved in female empowerment as well and and being a mother and I have my own stepkids and I have my own biological kids and I I decided I 
wanted to change that story. And I didn't want to repeat what my mother did. And so, so that really, for me, was the crux of it. But also that I know forgiveness is like freeing. And it is the root of our humanity. And don't get me wrong, when I wrote this book, there were times I was screaming at the top of my voice at her. I was crying uncontrollably. I was, you know, laughing. Laughing at the pure absurdity of human beings and families and how we behave and and how I, I, we take things so personally, and they are personal, but I, I think the other thing I realized, and this was really when I went through the, the first Deepak course I did, is that the way people behave, is not about you. It's not about me. It was about my mother's life experience. It was all about her, which is amplified when that person is a narcissist anyway. But it was about her. Every attack, every spiteful word was about her life experiences, that she was basically imposing, reflecting upon me. And once I understood that, really, really understood that as an adult with my own kids, that's when I was able to really shift and reframe things. That's when I was able to really think about writing this book. And I only wrote this book because I would tell the story when I was speaking at, you know, empowerment functions and I've always laughed at it but women would come up to me and say how did you survive how come you have positive attitude and I say because I I choose to and because I realized this wasn't about me this was about her her behavior and she had a rough upbringing she lived through a world war too. She lost two children. You see how someone, you know, when they've already got that type of personality, how it comes inflamed, you know, it, it takes on a life of its own, comes this demon. Um, but she loved me. She did love me. She'd kill for me, but then she'd kill me. So, yeah. But, you know, in more of your understanding of, who she is and what all of her injuries, emotional injuries are, her behavior becomes, uh, for you, very predictable and yes. uh, easier to understand when certain things happen to kind of be like, okay, she's doing, she's just doing her thing. And yeah. I, I am, I am me. And, uh, and you say something really important there, yeah. Brandon, is separating yourself from that person. I've always said, I am not her. That's such an important distinction. Yeah, I have some of her characteristics. Of course I do. She's my mother. I hope it's the good ones that I enjoy, the humor, the, you know, never giving up. 
probably the never give him up because you have to never give up writing a damn book i can assure you that but um it, that is a really important distinction and there's a lot of things I wrote down here while you were talking, so I wouldn't forget them. And I don't know which one to start with, but I just want to go back for one second when it comes to your mom and your dad and, and you being loved by your dad. And, 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 and especially at that time when you're younger, you know, you don't know if you're, what the deal is with your mom really as far as does she love you or not. And the way your mom interacted with your dad, it was like two people lived in the same house, but they were not there. So it, it was not – for you, that was probably the best thing that could have happened And because you're able to establish a relationship with your dad. You're able to have these private times with him. And as far as how your dad is treated by your mom, your mom is just really living her – life if that yeah because she was a very independent woman who'd raised two kids and somehow inherited a number of houses before she met my dad and then my dad's traditionalist yeah so just the the importance of you know because sometimes people are in these relationships and the the other parent might take on the role of consistently kind of being abused and not being kind of um, not they're not part of a solution of any sort, but they're um, kind of beaten down the, themselves in a way where they're not even able to communicate with you, and you might have some resentment towards that parent. You did you have resentment towards your dad in any of these situations? Or was your relationship with him, like, really solid? You know, I was a daddy's girl. And I can, and I think about this now. Um, and even in writing this book, I thought about it. I, I didn't really write a lot about this because this is about mom. Um, but I would be snuggled to my dad every night. I was his, I, I was, I was his princess. My mum was second, but she was okay with that because for all of her foibles, it was more important to her deep down that my dad and I had this bond and that my dad truly loved me and cherished me and was there for me. So in... As far as my dad and my relationship, it, it was harder to some degree living with a 77-year-old man. You know, she wasn't the buffer on some things, but I could go next door. And actually, and I write this in the book, what was interesting is that I was seeing this new person, this, you know, they were both storytellers, but suddenly she was the light of this house and she was the center of attention, which she wanted. She craved, she needed that. So I was seeing this really fun woman, but domestically it was a pain in the ass because I, I, I and to this day, I love to cook. How hate, hate housework. And I talk about that. I even rewrote a Monty Python song about it, <laughs> like, a, you know, a slave. But um, so it, 
I, I never doubted my dad, but he was strict. So it was kind of tough not having her as the buffer on some things, but easier because I wasn't having to hear this, these arguments or feel this tension. And when it comes to, I wrote down here the word conundrum. Yes. You know, you talked about the good traits and then the bad traits of what you inherit. And a lot of people in the abuse realm of things, when they even do inherit a good trait, and even, you know, this can be in a relationship that they learned from someone. And we've had stories on here of relationships where, you know, one of the people in the relationship helped the other person, um, like, uh, get over their addiction issues. So you have that conundrum of this person really helped me in this way, but they're terrible to me in all these other ways, but you live longer. And there's this one thing that's still part of their life that they feel that they kind of owe that person for this thing that's in them and who they are because it's good there you know you eventually came to terms with that but did you have like a real internal struggle for a while or at a certain point it was it just cut and dry your brain was like this is how i'm looking at it now it's over you know um it's an interesting question because i realized um my dad died when i was 22 that was really hard um, and mum disappeared again right after. She actually predicted he was going to die the week he died, which was eerie. I mean, she called herself a witch, and she really wasn't. <laughs> other than uh, other things I used to call her. But anyway, um, so in my late 20s, I realised, and I didn't realise this till really when I was writing the book, that I very rarely went over there on my own. I would always make sure a friend was with me or my brother was there or someone was there because then she was on the stage entertaining, talking, and, you know, we could talk about a lot of things. But if it was just me, often it would go back into this kind of negative aura or something would come up about that or whatever. So I was very irritated by her. Incredibly irritated. I had a short fuse. But what I learned was I really put um, boundaries around myself. And if she started talking about something that was hurtful, negative, bashing, whichever sister it was, I would literally say, stop. I am not getting into this conversation. But I mentioned in my book my uh, cousin Mike, who's hysterical. He, he, all of everyone in our family is colorful. There's more coming out of books on these family members. But they made life interesting. So when I was at Saatchi and Saatchi, I was one of the young, you know, advertising Turks, as they called us at the time. And I had this intense desire to live somewhere else in the world. And I didn't even understand at that point that that desire was driven by not just career, 
and aspirations, but to get away from the day-to-day madness and shenanigans of mum. And the conundrum there is she would love to control and try and control, but by the same token, she wanted me to go and achieve my own and be successful. So I think coming to America, quite honestly, and my cousin says this to me, he said, you are a changed person. And I was because I got to start life afresh by my own rules, on my own terms. And it, it was freeing. I only had to deal with things when I went back for a visit. And so I was able to separate myself from it. And, and that was healing. And I think when I, I mentioned the Deepak, when I, and I'll bring that up only because um, when I went through that, I created this framework called Own It, Feel It, Live It. And that's why I did a lot of my speeches around the podcast, Mothers and Daughters Unfiltered, is built around that framework. And the only part of it is awareness, really trying to dig deep and understand what's impacted you and why you do the things you do and understanding those triggers. And I had to do that with my own daughter in particular and have a different relationship where I heard her and allowed her to be her own person. She's an incredibly strong personality. You'll hear that when we talk on the podcast. You know, she'll call me out. But as I learned to deal um, with my mother with humor, that's how I've dealt with a lot of things. And I think humor, and I'm, I'm kind of doing my squirrel in here because I'm going off in a different direction. But I mention this because humor, and I write the story with a lot of humor, humor is what helps us survive. It, because if, if you're seeing reframing things and seeing the absurdity in them or the humor in them, however not funny they are, but that's you think about it, that's what comedians do. They observe. And they make us laugh at the situation because it makes it um, in a manner that you can handle it. You can handle things with humor. Um, it doesn't mean you don't go to the dark place, but you can handle it. So I, I'll get back to own it, feel it, live it. But own it's really about that awareness. And as long as you're aware, then you can decide if you're going to reframe something. If how are you going to approach it? And if you take ownership for your part in it, then it, then it just puts you on a better, even grounding. And then feel it's about allowing yourself to feel it, allowing yourself to cry. I wasn't allowed to cry in front of my mother. She just would look at me, never hug me. I do the opposite with my kids. They know they can come to me. I don't care if it's three o'clock in the morning. They can call me. They can come to me. I will go get them wherever they are. And I will hug them. But my father hugged me. You asked me. My father hugged me and was the affectionate one. So I had affection. And then live it is, you know, once you understand those two aspects, allow yourself to process and feel whatever's happened to you, then then you can move forward. Um, 
probably gone a long way around things there, but. <laughs> well, you mentioned your mom is this independent person and then you went to America. Did the independence that you found there uh, for, helped you in a lot of ways, but when you became a mom, did any of that kind of rear its ugly head as far as your relationships with your children and how did you uh, work your way through that? That was a very self-revealing situation. My mother and the way she modeled life made me fearless. For that, she gave me courage. She gave me the courage to never accept no and to keep going. And she would say to me, you can be and do anything you put your heart and mind to. And don't you ever allow someone to tell you you can't. You will find a way. She gave me that. So, yes, I became this career woman. She was happy as a clam about that. So proud of that. I was. And I was, I rose very quickly in the advertise. I was running agencies, traveling all over the world. Then I get married. Then I have children. My whole world changed. And I remember I was going back to work after three months, Natalie, my first was born, going back, think I, thinking I could have it all, thinking I was going to be this model of the kind of way that mum had raised me. And I walked into the office and everyone was, it's great to have you back, Diane. What's, I mean, no one thought I would have a child. I mean, I was that career woman. And um, I just broke down. And I said, I don't want to be here. I've waited to have this child. I need to take time. So luckily I had the support of a husband who we were able to do that. I was lucky, really lucky I could do that. But it was internally so hard because I felt like I'd lost my identity. I felt like I was... I was Natalie's mom. I wasn't Diane Danvers Simmons anymore. I was Natalie's mom. I was, you know, this New Jersey mom who was kind of lost to what do I do with this baby, which I threw myself into. I did go back to work for a number of years. I got calls. and um, But, again, thanks to my mother, when I got a call from the head of um, coach and um, champion sportswear, I was able to go in and take my daughter and say, you see this little girl? She's the most important thing in my life. And I will work for you guys, but here's the parameters. This is the way I'm going to work. And I want this, this, this. And I was able to lay that out. And I did that for a while. And I went back into the agency world for a while. But then I realized I couldn't do both at the time because I was an hour, an hour out of the city. You know, you, I was driving in and out of New York. My husband's traveling all over the world. I'm traveling more. Couldn't do it. And I decided at that point I had to pay attention to my kids. And I had this headstrong little girl and this little boy who was just, you know, into everything. 
And I realized I had to be there. One of us had to be there. So I threw myself into other things. Um, and I, I, I think when you've had parents and a mother who, even when mum wasn't working, she was always busy. She had to keep busy. She was always taking care of people. So, you know, and the conundrum there was she believed very much in taking care of your children and family. But for her, there was a cutoff age. And that was because she left Ireland when she was 16, which is why she left me when she was 16. So I couldn't help seeing the parallels there either. She left Ireland to come to England for a better life. I left England to come to America for a better life. You know, so, so I could see that. Um, and then years later, uh, when my kids were older, and I'm sitting there thinking, what am I doing with my life? I did go through a terrible time. I wanted to leave my husband, but my daughter was turning 16. I couldn't do it. But I did. We did split up when she was 18. But we did it in a way where we sat the children down and both of us had a conversation saying, you know what, the family stays intact. It's just the structure's changing. We're still going to have Christmases together, birthdays together, Sunday dinner together. We're going to keep the family together. It's just your dad and I, it's not working right now. We need to have space to work this out. We came back together again eventually, but we didn't put the kids in the middle of it. And we said, it's not normal for us to wanting to go off on separate holidays all the time. And, and I, I didn't want them growing up experiencing that negativity that I did. So there is one thing more about the book that I wanted to discuss within your experience and abandonment. Um, yes. You know, you were abandoned when you were 16 and early on in your life, you didn't really remember that much, but you, your mom did leave here or there. Um, and there's a moment in your book when you're in a car with your aunt um, and your aunt unbeknownst to you, raised you for a bit and yeah. your aunt says that she wished that your mom didn't come back and i it was i was so you know you 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 said that you you were happy your mom came back i was so sad for your aunt yeah. <laughs> um yeah. because she loved you and loved me unconditionally when my mother couldn't yeah and, and that's what brought me joy and made me realize that and, and i think this is so important our mothers are imperfect our mothers you, you know we we put mothers on pedestals we we put such pressure on women and mothers and my mother at that, I, I still, and I'll never have the answer because she never apologized. She never took responsibility other than this was about her. 
So I had to learn. And I actually wrote, there's a number of articles on my blog that I've written about this, about acceptance and understanding the limitations of a parent. Um, but that moment for me, I, I mean, I literally tear up whenever I think of that. Because I do remember as a little girl, always being in Aunt Kay's car. And she was this mother who drove like a maniac <laughs> and being with my cousin, Mike, who's more like a brother to me, which makes sense to me. I can even remember being in dad's car and him finding different routes to get to my uncle Alec and Aunt Kay's house when I was little. And I would start screaming that I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. I never knew why until I had that discussion with my aunt. Because as a little girl, I knew I was being dropped off because I didn't have a mother around. But it, it was sad for her because she had boys and she really wanted a girl. But when my mother left when I was 16, who were the people that we'd go around to their house for Sunday dinner? Where did we go for Christmas? It was Aunt Kay. She stepped back in. So... It was interesting to I, I just find that out when you're in your, God, what was I, mid-40s, late-40s, that it was your aunt who'd been there for you and loved you so much, and she never told me until I asked her that. That's how much she loved me. You know, you think about, I mean, she said, I never wanted to hurt you, Diane. I didn't know that you knew. That's love. And for everyone listening, you just, you know, as delightful as Diane sounds right now, you must read her book. It's a delight, you know, it's not easy to write a book like this and have humor. And as I said earlier, be delightful. You, you'll read this and you'll understand the dynamics of possibly your family, uh, your siblings, everyone's role within it, alliances. Um, oh, you know, God, yes. <laughs> we didn't even get to alliances, <laughs> but there's alliances. Um, you know, today you're on the country. I think yeah, after my you know, today you're on my team. Tomorrow you are not. Who's in a fight with yeah. who today? There's just yeah. so much of this. And then also, your mom lives next door with three guys. That that was the hardest, having it shoved in my face every day. And I never thought of that until a reporter from The Guardian actually was interviewing me. And he said, she transferred her life next door. How did that make you feel? And I said, well, you know, I was so confused by it all. I didn't know how to feel. But there were three hot college guys there. So that made it kind of fun. I was 16, remember? Um, but, it was, I couldn't run a hide. It was there every day in my face. And for your, it was difficult for you. It must have been very difficult for your dad. Because in a lot of these cases, yeah. no one wants to run into their ex. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you have no. to wake and up. And you don't want to be the daughter in the middle when they do run into each other. <laughs> exactly. That was not pretty. That was, it was horrible. I mean, it's as simple as that. 
and I, I choose not to dwell because if I dwelled, I drown. I can't dwell now. So before we leave, tell us a little bit about your podcast with your daughter and where you can get the book. Yeah. So my podcast with my daughter, interestingly, as I saw on your description, you talk about unfiltered. Ours is mothers and daughters unfiltered. And the podcast actually was inspired by the book. Because as I wrote the book, I realized that I had changed that pattern. And the story I begin with in the beginning, in the intro about Morocco, which I'm going to write that book next, that really was the turning point um, of really understanding I really need to continue to work. Because you're not just working at it from the day they're born, you're working on it throughout your child's life to make sure you don't keep that pattern. But the reason that uh, we started the podcast was because of the book and also because we realized we have these really deep, uncomfortable often conversations. And we were seeing what was going on in the world, the cancel culture, um, how daughters and mothers were at these points where they, they were just blocking each other. So we thought, if we just start having conversations about things that are impacting us, whether we're 18 or 48, whatever age we are, we can come at it from different life experiences and help each other rather than hindering each other. And so that's kind of why we started that. And also, you know, for when the book was launched as well, so I could begin to share because as you know, Brandon, there's so many layers to this story. It's it's not just about mother abandoning me. It's about her and dad getting married when he's 60 and she's 45 and they've got two families or, you know, blended families, so many different layers. So the podcast has really been a way of showing how intergenerationally we can really, we need to face and we need to have some of these conversations Honestly, openly, it's just normal people. We're not movie stars. We're not famous. This is what happens in everyday life. So that's kind of conversations. And we've had everything from, you know, um, women who've been trafficked to the mother of the bride to dating online, you know. So all these different aspects to how mothers and daughters are dealing with coming together in COVID. So lots of different stories there. And that can be found at mothersanddaughtersunfiltered.com. And the book is available on um, Amazon, Barnes Noble, Target, wherever you buy your books. It is available in bookstores, um, online, everywhere. And it is My Mother Next Door. And it is a true story. And... um, I wrote it because women asked me to, and I really hope it helps mothers, daughters, sons, fathers, whoever reads it, just look at their relationship through a different lens, a different perspective. And I was able to really write it from a different lens 
because I have many parallels to my mother. I do have a blended family. I do have big step kids. I do have my own kids. I did come to America. So, you know, I, I, I'd say at the beginning, you know, not everything that's faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed unless you face it. And that's what I've tried to do in this book. And the forgiveness, however you frame that, because you can frame that, that you just, I mean, you know, I've, I've been to spiritualists, I've been to mediums, and they always would say, just forgive her in your heart. You haven't forgiven her. And I was like, yes, I've forgiven her. No, you haven't forgiven her. And I'm like, okay, I'll forgive her in my heart. I don't even, you don't even have to go and say the words, but do it for yourself. Well, Diane Danvers Simmons, I want to thank you for being a guest on our show. It was delightful to talk to you. You know, just as much it was delightful to read your book, I was delightful to talk to you and, uh, you know, giving our audience uh, hope. And, you know, I think you are uh, someone who has not just done the work, um, you've taken the work very seriously and it made it your life. Um, and it, and it's something that you work on every day. And I remember when I took the Hoffman process, we had a lot of, I was younger when I took it, but we had a lot of parents there. It was for pattern breaking and their parents were treating their children the same way that their parents treated them. And they swore to themselves that they would never do that, but they couldn't stop themselves and they were there to learn. And the process that you, that you did yourself, like within everything that you did was a lot is pretty much the, the, the theory of, of Hoffman, um, where it's like, um, everyone is guilty, but no one is to blame kind of uh, theory. And you learn about your parents' history you understand why the way they are the way they are, and then you try to se- you make yourself aware. You try to separate yourself from it, and then you try to heal and be like, okay, I'm going to forgive this aspect of everything that happened. And now going forward, I have these good traits and I have these bad traits, and right. I'm and I'm going to choose these good traits that I like. I'm going to get angry at those bad traits, but I'm aware that I now have good traits and bad traits that I inherited from these people. And now if I do the things that I don't want to do, now it's my fault. Now it's my responsibility because I know my mom doesn't really know what she is. She's just reacting and acting to what she is. She's not an enlightened human being. I am now enlightened and therefore I have to take responsibility for that. And that is what you live. Yeah. And, and thank you. I really appreciate that. And thank you, because that is my whole philosophy. And I actually write at the end of the book, and there's just one thing I wanted to add about forgiveness. Um, because I asked at the beginning of the book, what the hell has forgiveness got to do with it anyway? You know, I can hear a song right now coming <laughs> out of that. But you do, you ask that. And I say, forgiveness is the courage to accept that there are things, people, out of our control. Forgiveness frees us, allowing us to move forward without bitterness. And forgiveness is a new dawn, enabling us to feel whole and somewhat, not totally, but somewhat in control of this crazy world that we live in. And, you know, it it is a case of taking the good, working really hard to leave the bad behind, and, um, you know, 
not wasting our lives. The, the world is so crazy around us as it is. We're dealing with all this very scary stuff around us. But why, why add that in our own personal life? Why, why pile it on? I mean, that's what we've got to stay away from. But um, that's interesting. It's, it's nice to know I worked out the Hoffman stuff myself. <laughs> I certainly did while writing the book. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I'll pay you all that money. You're going to make a fortune. So once again, Diane, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. And you can actually find the book also on our website, Mothers and Daughters Unfiltered. Okay, perfect. I'll put all of that in the show notes. And before we end our show, I just want to say to everyone who wants to be a guest on our Survivor Story episode to please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. At the top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. You click on that button, and it takes you to our Guest Form page. On our Guest Form page, everyone, we have a lot of instructions. Please do read the instructions. Then send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or put everything in the guest form box there and press submit. We will get everything so you can be a guest on our Survivor Story show. And also at NarcissistApocalypse.com, we have our very own safe social network. So if, at the, you, uh, so if you go to the top of the page, you have a button there that says support group. You click on that button, it takes you to our social network in there. We have forum boards where people post, people answer, you get support. We have our very own Zoom meetings every Wednesday night and Saturday night and Thursday afternoons, every other Thursday afternoon. And what else do we have on there? We have episodes that never made it to air. We have ad-free episodes. And if you just want to support the show, join our support group today and you can do that at narcissistapocalypse.com top of the page press that support group button and we will see you there and if you need even more support please do go to our friends at domesticshelters.org a big shout out to ashley from domesticshelters.org great person. So if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone. DomesticShelters.org offers you an extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you are experiencing. They can connect you with local resources and they can find ways for you to heal and move forward. So please do go visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org to access this free resource today. And from myself, everyone, and from Diane Danvers-Simmons, who was just delightful today, uh, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a good night. <laughs>